0: This is one of those lessons, and I don't know why this one, but all of a sudden I'm like, I think I don't want to teach today. I think I just go on home. It's kind of a hard one. And so if you feel like um, between small group discussion, the lecture, you're just struggling, you are not alone. We're gonna talk about some hard things and it's uncomfortable. And um, so I would just encourage you that for some reason, God has the women of Trinity, you, whether you're a member of Trinity or not, in this room studying this stuff right now. And I don't know why, except that God has a reason. And we're going to trust Him with it. We're also going to remember that we are creatures, not the Creator. And we're going to bow before what He's teaching us. So, But it's okay to struggle, and it's okay to ask questions, and it's going to be uncomfortable. So just get comfortable in the uncomfortableness, I guess is what I'm saying. So with that, turn your Bibles to Joshua 11. We're going to read Joshua 11, uh, half of it now and half of it a little bit later. But I do want us to start off with God's Word since that is why we're here. Um, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 to start us off. Now it came to pass when Japhon king of Hazor heard these things that he sent to Jobab king of Madon, to the king of Shemron, to the king of Ashphath, and to the kings who were from the north in the mountains, in the plain south of Chinaroth, in the lowland, and in the heights of Dor on the west, to the Canaanites in the east, in the west, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite in the mountains, and the Hivite below Hermon in the land of Mitzpah. So they went out they and all their armies with them as many people as the sand that is on the seashore in multitude with very many horses and chariots and when all these kings had met together they camped they came and camped together at the waters of Merom to fight against israel i just want to pause there for a second and in your homework i said imagine a movie scene this is why when i read this I picture like one of the Lord of the Rings scenes where it's like all those orcs and the big just cinematography of just all the bad guys. And you're just going, there's no way they're going to be able to beat them. That's what it reminded me of, just the list of the north. Because we're going to talk about the northern conquest today and just all the bad guys were piling up to go against little old Israel. Okay, let's continue in verse 6. But the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid because of them, for tomorrow about this time I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua and all the people of war with him came against them suddenly by the waters of Merom, and they attacked them. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel, who defeated them and chased them to greater Sidon to the brook Misraphoth, I guess that's how you say it, and to the valley of Mizbah eastward. They attacked them until they had left none of them remaining. So Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. Joshua turned back at that time and took Hazor and struck its king with the sword, for Hazor was formerly the head of all of those kingdoms. And they struck all of the people who were with them with it with the edge of the sword utterly destroying them there was none left breathing then he burned hazor with fire okay let's pause there for a second so if you look at your outline on your handout we're going to talk about this inheritance that the people are getting first of all they are grabbing their inheritance what god has promised them they're grabbing it then we're going to talk about comparing The servant heart versus the hard heart and then we're going to look at inheritance given so we're kind of showing just as God expects us to grab and to do something action is involved he is also the one doing the work so those are the bookends of our talk so hopefully that will work and that's what we'll we'll what we'll learn about today okay let's talk about inheritance grabbing first of all let's let's just review the bidding okay what is the inheritance for them the inheritance is the promised land this on the map that you have on the next homework in your booklet you'll see a map that is what the inheritance is for them how did they get it god god like we talked about last week was going before them as the warrior king And how will they get it? Are they just going to sit there? Does it just come down on a silver platter? No. God says get armed up and go. Go take over this land. But I'll tell you how you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it the normal way, the worldly way, which is chariots and horses. Because those were the tanks of their day. I mean, I guess in World War II, the tank would have been the biggest weapon. Now it's probably nuclear war these are like the nuclear warheads of their day chariots and horses like we're talking about it is overwhelming it is a is not a fair fight except it's really not fair for the canaanites because god is better than a nuclear weapon and god is telling them and and this is what's interesting moses wrote down they had heard that God was going to save them and let them be successful, even against chariots. If you look in Deuteronomy, he's saying, don't be scared of that. Do not let that scare you. These tanks, these nuclear warheads are not a match for God. And then notice how Joshua moves based on this command of God's. He's saying, don't be scared by this time tomorrow. I love I love when it's going to be fast like that, don't you? (laughs) It's not like Abraham had to wait 13 years. It's like, no, I'm going to promise you this, and it's going to be in 24 hours. That's how long you've got to wait. So, knowing that, and I don't know this, this is just Susan, so take it or leave it. I wonder if Joshua did the math. If it's this time tomorrow, then we got to go. And he he totally acted on it so fast, so that they surprise them. And so, I'm also this kind of con- came as a thought from one of the commentators that where they were gathered they were gathered then to go fight probably so where they were gathered with all the chariots was probably not a great place for them to fight from maybe it, they needed to to meet israel at more of a plane and by joshua's fast action he kind of caught them where the chariots weren't going to be at their full use, so to speak. It's kind of like grabbing the nuclear warheads before the timer goes off. He kind of just got there. So I just I just think that's so interesting. I want you to turn to Psalm 20. That's kind of in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 20, verse 7. And it's just a little verse, but I, I love how God's Word is so one document it's not just a bunch of little things you string along it really this this verse really just sings to me of this passage Verse seven some trust in chariots and some in horses but we will remember the name of the Lord our God they have bowed down and fallen but we have risen and stand upright so I just love that. I love how we see this happening in Joshua. We see David writing about it in the Psalms. And we have just this, just this encouragement. Is don't trust in the fine, fine things of the world. That, that the people of the world say you must have to win. The big bank accounts. The healthy heart. The beautiful face. The figure out of a magazine. These are things... That the world says you have to have to win, and God says, "Don't trust in chariots and horses. Don't trust in that." So God gives God gives um, them this this uh, this promise that in twenty four hours, this is going to be happening. So last week we talked about how to pray in a feisty way, in a gutsy way, based on just God's character. So today, what I want you to take home is act in a gutsy way based on God's sovereignty. God is telling them, I will make sure this happens. God's so- That's a word, another way of saying it is God's sovereignty in that He controls time. He controls events. He is the all-controlling God. Based on that, you can be nervy. You can be gutsy. You can do crazy things like go against chariots and horses with a little ragtag army of previous, you know, children of slaves. And so I want you to think about how we can go with confidence when we know that God is sovereign. This is just a side story. We're not going to look it up, but one of my favorite Bible stories is in 1 Samuel 11. And maybe go read it. Maybe if you have kids, go read it to your kids. Because this, this I couldn't help but cover this because this is an example of this. And it's about King Saul's son, Jonathan, who was best friends with, with David before David was king. And he was, there. they were fighting the Philistines, the people that were still in Canaan that they had not kicked out years later. And Jonathan grabs his armor bearer and says, Let's go up against some Philistines. Let's go get some. Like, you can just see the little boy in him. And he's like, Who knows? God, God, I'm actually going to read it because I love how he says it. He says, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. He's going, he didn't know. For all I know, that was his appointed time to die, doing something crazy. Don't you know his mama would have been going, why are you doing this, Jonathan? But he's like, look, who knows what God will do? But he's going with confidence based on God's sovereignty, based on that God is in charge, even of scary things. And I just love that. The commentator Davis um, says, instead of hemming us in, God's sovereignty unleashes us. So, scared of having that next kid? You should be. I have five. And let me tell you, (laughs) scary stuff. Sometimes not the best idea. Don't quote that to number four or five. (laughs) But I'm telling you, you, if you're on the fence on something like that, why not have the attitude? Who knows? This may be a total disaster, but you know what? God is sovereign, even over my mistakes. Thinking about that business deal, thinking about that neighborhood move, thinking about making a new friend, thinking about saying something to a co-worker about church, you get to be confident. You get to be brave. You get to be crazy, gutsy, nervy, because your trust is not, in if you're doing it right, or if that person reacts right. You're doing it based on God, like Jonathan. Who knows what God's going to do? Who knows? This may be a total disaster, but it's okay because it's not up to us about the results. So, just like we pray with reckless abandonment, then act with reckless abandonment. Now, I'm not saying go jump off a bridge or anything crazy like that. That's not what I'm talking about. But I am saying in those things of the heart, Where you're having to have confidence pray about it and then act and then one of the things that i think is really fun um actually let's finish reading uh chapter 11 so i can talk about this um verse 16 well no 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 verse 12. uh where did i stop 12. okay so let's pick up in 13. but as for the cities that stood on their mounds israel burned none of them except hazor only which Joshua burned. And all the spoil of these cities and the livestock, the children of Israel took as booty for themselves, but they struck every man with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them, and they left none breathing. As the Lord had commanded Moses his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Thus Joshua took all this land, the mountain country, all of the south, all of the Goshen, the lowland and the Jordan plain, the mountains of Israel and its lowlands, from Mount Halak to the ascent to, the, to Seir, even as far as Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon below Mount Hermon. He captured all their kings and struck them down and killed them. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel, except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon all the others they took in battle for it was of the lord to harden their hearts that they should come against israel in battle that he might utterly destroy them and that they might receive no mercy but that he might destroy them as the lord had commanded moses and at that time joshua came and cut off the anakim from the mountains from hebron from debir from anab from all the mountains of judah and from all the mountains of israel joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities None of the Anakim were left in the land of the cho- land of the children of Israel. They remained only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses. And Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. Okay, so why is he pulling out the Anakim? Why is he... Pulling them out as a special, by the way, and I think if you, ha- if you remember back to Exodus, do you remember when they were about to come into the promised land um, that, that the spies went in, Joshua and Caleb, two of them, that came back and said, we've got it. We've got it. We can do this. The Lord's on our side. But the other 10 spies were like, uh, no, there are these giants there called the Anakim. There is no way we can do it. And I love this postscript. I love how God is just kind of in underscoring, remember those people you were so scared of that you thought I couldn't handle it? They're all cleared out now. I took care of them. And it's just a great reminder that that fear cost the Israelites 40 years in the desert of wandering. And God's saying, "You could have avoided all that. I had it. You did it! You beat them. Joshua beat the giants, and it's just such a sweet reminder of God just saying, "I told you I could do it. I told you." So that I just want to not move on without without uh, realizing that little 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 signal there. So, um, he cut this idea of cutting off signals a summary. He just all of these. things people, all of the summary of just all the people that were beaten back, that were cut off because they were enemies of God. And I love this idea. And on your handout, you see that little, the little cartoon, well, it's not a cartoon, it's an illustration, I guess, of Pilgrim, I mean, of Christian and Pilgrim's Progress. And he's trying to go into Palace Beautiful, but there are these two huge lions guarding the way. And what he doesn't see is that they're chained. He doesn't see the change. And Davis, the commentator, says sometimes we're, we're," I want to read it. It's on the back. The form of our fears is different. The adequacy of our God is the same. And so sometimes God is holding back the scariest of fears. We just don't see the change. We just don't see the things. And this could be anything from a just really hard cancer diagnosis. Is those are scary lions right there looking at you and you don't see the chains of God saying nothing touches you without my knowledge nothing touches you without going through my hand pierced hands it may be that you have a child that you will be taking care of the rest of your life in some form or fashion and that's overwhelming to you those are lions on your dreams of, of being your child being independent or you being independent of your children. And God says, I have, that, I have those fears chained. They're not gonna take over you. A difficult marriage, a difficult financial situation, jobs that you just can't quite get, um, just, just all the things we're scared of. And we need to remember that we are like Christian. We are trying to go somewhere and we see these scary lines and God has them chained just like he did the Anakim, those giants but let's also look at what it it he points out some stuff the writer about joshua himself and he's such a a great servant leader and so we're going to compare a servant heart with a hard heart because he mentions the writer has both in this section of you have joshua who is doing everything god said He's, he's being held up. Is this is what your leaders need to look like? He was had his confidence in God. His success was all because God was doing the work. He obeyed Him, and then you have these hard hearts, uh, the enemies of God. In John eight twenty nine, even Jesus obeyed His Father like this. He's like everything my Father says, I do. And the kings and leaders of Israel were not supposed to be law makers. They were supposed to be law keepers. And so many times we want to be the law makers instead of law keepers. But not only was Joshua a law keeper, he was also very patient. Because remember it said... It took him a long time. In verse 18, he made war a long time with all those kings. And in Exodus 23, around 23 and 29 uh, 29 through 30, it says, he tells Moses, Moses says, it's going to take little by little. Because he said, if you did it too fast, the wild animals would take over. So it's interesting how God in his sovereignty, there's that word again, Little by little, this was happening. Not just this blitzkrieg where in six weeks we've taken over the promised land. No. And I need to know that. That as I have fears and as I have things that God wants me to do, that sometimes it's going to take a lifetime. Sometimes it's going to take a very long time. So, how can we imitate Joshua in grabbing our own inheritance? By obeying. By being patient, but then in and chap- uh, verse twenty of chapter eleven, we get to some really uncomfortable verses. For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts, talking about the enemies of the Israelites. Why, that they should come against Israel in battle, that He might utterly destroy them, and that they may might receive no mercy but that he might destroy them as the Lord had commanded Moses. Okay, we've seen this before. Let's look, while we're doing all the hard, terrible verses, let's just jump in the deep end. Let's go to Exodus 7, verse, let's see, verse 3. This is when Moses goes to Egypt to free God's people. Let's start in chapter 7, verse 1. So the Lord said to Moses See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Okay. Why? Why does God harden hearts to do his judgment? Why does he do his judgment? Because they deserve it. And that doesn't make you go squirrely, I don't know what you're made of. It makes me go squirrely in my head why ultimately why what does god say about himself of what is the ultimate goal in this judgment that they will know that i'm the lord if you look at joshua when god is doing judgments it is that they will know my name i'm reading in ezekiel in my quiet time and it has been a real downer i think i said that a few weeks ago i'm finally in some positive parts now and constantly there's a refrain they will know i'm the lord they will know i'm the lord they will know i'm the lord god wants you to know who the lord is and he uses judgment as one of his ways to do that and it is so that they will know his name now davis the commentator that obviously i'm leaning heavily on in this lesson um calls this judicial hardening okay and this is people who have sinned deserve punishment okay I think we would agree on that people who sin deserve punishment and what's happening is God is hardening their hearts so they get what they deserve now before you do what I do and a lot of people do and go that's just not fair that's just not fair, and I don't like it, and that, that something's wrong here. I want to ask you, are you more merciful than God? Are you more kind than God? Are you made up of something that puts your kindness and mercy above God's kindness and mercy? Because I would say no. No. The way I treated my husband the last 24 hours shows I am not more merciful or kind as God. Okay, so I know that's not right. So there's something I'm not seeing. When this bothers me, it's because I cannot see the whole picture as God does. And it's probably because I do not grasp holiness and the cost of sin. Now, you're going to think I'm crazy for putting Pinocchio on your handout. But this is why. Now, there's a lot of talk about how Disney is so bad for everybody, but I'm telling you, Disney caught it right on this one because this is the best illustration for hardening of hearts I've ever found, okay? Do you remember in Pinocchio, who I'm I'm hoping y'all saw it, it was still, I mean, I guess I saw it on some VHS back in the olden days when I was a little girl, and Pinocchio runs away with his friends the bad boys, and they go to Pleasure Island. And they get to have as much of that good stuff as they want, right? They have all those lollipops and cigars and it is like a boy's dream come true. They have all the roller coaster rides. It's all the fun stuff. They have as much fun as they can handle. And what happens? They turn into a bunch of asses. <laughs> they do they, they turn into what they are consuming because they had the freedom to do it and that's what hardening your heart is God's saying you want that you want that homosexuality I'll turn you over to it you want to have that affair with that guy that makes you feel great when your husband just doesn't pay attention to you I'll turn you over to it you want to chase money and social status, and not go to church and not be humble and not be part of a group. you want to be isolated because you just can't your pride can't handle being vulnerable with people so you don't want to be part of a church. Fine. I'll let you have it. That's what hardening is. And that's what the people in Canaan did. They had 400 years to turn, and then somewhere in there, God started letting them have it. Have what you want the only group of people that did not be completely hardened were these Gibeonites I guess because they were the only ones that did not come against them in battle God gave them over to what they wanted this is what it means to be judicial hardening so the Old Testament is not the only place this is talked about Um, if you look at Romans 1 24 through 26 God gives the same kind of language God is giving people up to the sins that they love, and Hebrews three twelve through thirteen. We don't want to be deceived by sin because God says, "Don't be deceived by sin, or He'll give you over it." And we need each other to be able to not be deceived. That's a cry for community involvement. But I want us to turn to Romans eleven verse twenty two, and that's in the New Testament. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fail severity, but towards you goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. There's that language again of cutting off. Now, I want to balance this. Scripture also says once God begins a good work in you, he will never abandon it. So if you're a new believer, or maybe just a weak believer, or one that struggles with assurance, can I just tell you, God will not let your heart get hardened. He will. Now he may chase you down, and it may not be pretty, and it may be you have a lot of pain that brings you back. But remember, Jesus said, out of a hundred sheep, if one goes missing, I leave the ninety-nine and I go chase down even to dangerous territory. To get that little sheep that's stuck so remember that but also God is teaching us don't mess around with sin don't don't flirt with it don't allow yourself to get seared and hardened to sin don't go there and it's the same language as God used for his enemies in Joshua but the good news is this, and this is the last point, that this is an inheritance that is given to us. Now, I'm totally taking this out of uh, Ralph Davis's book because frankly, chapter 12, do you want me to read all that to you right now? Mm-mm, I'm sorry, it is, seems like, what? This is in the boring category of scripture, right? But Davis pulled out some points. I was like, that's not boring at all, so I'm gonna copy you, Davis, and tell everybody what you said. First of all, by listing, this is basically a list of, let's see, everything that has been conquered. And this, and I need to be reminded of this because we're studying Joshua, this conquering started in our last Old Testament Bible study. It started under Moses with Psyche. Sag and Og, I can't Sion and Og, the other kings. So there's already been some conquest before we started Joshua, and I needed to be reminded of that. So one of the things is it shows the unity of the tribes. Like, look, some of the tribes were settling west of the Jordan, and they were helping the Josh this this time period, but their homes were already conquered, and I think it's sweet that everybody was mentioned because it's a unified goal it'd be like if someone made a great catch in the first quarter but everybody only talked about the last quarter of the football game but the coach comes back to the locker room and says okay everybody what a great first quarter and it it makes the team unified instead of just about the last quarter so there's unity of the tribes by just kind of giving this list of everything that's been taken over But it's also listing all the ways God kept promises to Abraham. And it's a checklist of thanksgiving for every victory, every king. It says that there were, is it 31 kings? Uh, Anyway, it just, it's amazing. Just every single victory was a victory. Every single victory was a promise kept to Abraham. And because it's, this promise kept to Abraham is encouragement that God is going to get the final victory for us and our inheritance and this is what faith looks like Um, if you look at Romans 4 20 through 21 Abraham did not waver but believed God believe that he was able to keep the promise. And that's what faith is, is believing that God's going to keep his promise. So what what is our promised land? Okay, so I hope you know by now that we're not about to get a, get a plan together to go take over present-day Israel. I hope you hear that that is not the goal of our inheritance, that our inheritance is actually much grander than that, that Canaan was a picture It was like a shadow. It's like a cartoon illustration of the real thing. That one day, as sure as we're sitting in this Connell Fellowship Hall, that we will be sitting in the new heavens and new earth. And that gives me chills, so to speak. And it makes me nervous, because I don't like change and things I can't picture. And so, if that's a little scary to you, I'm right there with you. But for some of us, it's the best thing ever. Because we have loved ones that are already waiting and we have hard lives that we were like oh please check me out of this place and let me go to that place and so how do I know that that's for real or is that just a fairy tale that my mother has told me and that my daddy has based his whole life on no it's not a fairy tale and God as sure as he kept the list I wonder if there'll be a list in the new heavens and new earth of us going do you remember how we learned in Bible study? Do you remember how I kept my temper that day because of God's Spirit? Do you remember how I prayed for you, child, to come into heaven with me and you gave me a run for my money, but I kept praying? All the things that we'll list as ways God kept His promise to us. This is what I want for us. in the back, On the back of your... Handout, there's a really, really good summary of how what our promised land is, is from the Bible Project. And I just, I just found this to be so uh, concise, and that just to make sure we understand that, that, yes, we can say, I'm fighting the Anakim of my day. Yeah, and there's some application there. But the Anakim that we're really fighting are, is the world and Satan. And our own flesh and keeping us from believing keeping us off track of this promise that we are part of God's people and that he loves us and will live with us one day in a real life place called the new heavens and new earth so read that and what we want to do is we want to get there in God's ways of obedience and patience not in horses and chariots not in some fancy, glitzy stuff that we come up with ourselves, but with a servant heart and not a hard heart. Let's pray. Lord, we need your work to help us have a servant heart, an obedient heart, a brave and gutsy heart. But Lord, keep us from the hard. Keep us from the hard-heartedness. Help us to help one another as we fight sin and fight the world and fight Satan. Take us to the promised land that only you can create. And it's amazing that you're saving us for such a gift. Thank you for your work and for your name and how we see it played out um, in this passage today. In Jesus' name, amen.